Welcome to the Colonial Church STA podcast. My name is Pastor Matt McClory. I'm so glad you could take the time to listen to this message. Well, I'm excited this morning because we have Pastor Bob Appleby bringing the word. Bob and Dawn are an amazing part of our church. They've been part of our church from almost day one, just showed up and started doing things, (laughs) just started doing stuff. And have been faithful since the very beginning and we just love them. And for those that don't know, Bob was actually a pastor in Connecticut before he came to our church, led a church up there and did an amazing job. What are you doing on stage? I haven't called you up here yet. See what I mean? He just does stuff. He just does stuff. That's why he got the job on staff. (laughs) So would you stand with me? Would you stand so we can honour the Word of God? Give Bob a big warm welcome as he comes to preach this morning. Come on. Getting ahead of me. Getting ahead of me. Yep. Okay, don't sit down yet because I want you to find someone that's next to you, someone preferably that you know. I want you to look them in the eye and I want you to say something to them. Let me know when you're ready. Are you ready? I say this I am glad you're alive. Now, say one more thing. Say, you have a purpose. And you have meaning. If you want to kiss the person next to you, go ahead and do that. Make sure it's legal. As a young entrepreneur, he had a vision, a dream that was so massive, so huge, it was never before attempted. He dreamed that he would be able to impact every person on the globe. He was going to create an organization so huge, so massive, and have such a simple infrastructure that it would continue to perpetuate and support itself. He was the greatest dreamer the world had ever seen. He was the greatest visionary the world had ever experienced. When he began to fill this office, he did so with a picture in his mind. Not a mandate, but a picture, an image, an image that was so clear that it called to him from the future, and he kept his eyes steeled on what he needed to do. When he was introduced publicly for the first time, he wasn't introduced by name or by title. He was introduced with a picture, an image, an image that every heart could understand and people without eyes would be able to see. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. And when two men heard that, they turned and they looked at Jesus and they followed him. And Jesus said, what are you doing? They said, we're following you. He said, what do you want? They said, we want to see what you're like. We want to see where you live. And you know what Jesus said to them? Jesus said, come and see. Look at the person next to you and say, come and see. Come and see is what Jesus said. When Jesus began to do that, he met a man named Simon. You know him, his name is Peter. Simon was renamed Peter Petros in the Greek, and Jesus called something out of the inside of Peter that was deep inside of his soul from the day that he was born. An image that was so clear to Peter that he knew that it was his. He changed his name from from, uh, Simon to Petros, to a rock, to a stone. His life was about to change from something out of instability to stability, from lack of strength to strength. He did so with an image, and he called that image out of Peter. 
Come and see, he said. From there, Peter went and he told his family. And he went to his family and his friends says, you guys, you guys got to do something. And they said, what is it? He said, come and see. And those men left their family, they left their friends, they left their vocation, they left their town, and they followed this Jesus. What was it about Jesus? Was it his words? And I will tell you this, that no, at this point in time, it was not the words of Jesus. It, because, listen, I'm not negating his teaching. As you know, I love the word of God. It wasn't that, because all Jesus said to them was, come and see. It was an invitation but that invitation didn't go to their human ears. That invitation went to the spirit man on the deep inside of them. And they had to respond. And they left everything that they knew to hear and to see what Jesus was going to say. Come and see. What did they see? I mean, what did they see in Jesus? I think they saw their future. I think they saw their dream. I think they saw their life improving, their life getting better. I think they saw their connection with God, something that compelled them to follow him. With those three words, come and see, I believe that those men who left their family, who left their friends, saw something that they'd always talked about, something that they had believed for, prayed for, desired, deep within. They saw something bigger than themselves, something broader than their imagination. They saw their life unfolding before them as it was meant to be. And I think with that in mind, you and I can understand that our lives should have purpose and meaning. Isn't that right? Those disciples saw their, their path. They saw their direction. They saw their heart's desire. They saw something that could not be seen with the eyes within their head, but with the eyes of the soul that they had to follow and pursue. I think that each and every one of those people, as you and I, had those visions, had those dreams within their heart. They might have been mere glimpses. They might have been just little snapshots of their future. But as you know, when that happens, that's something real. It kind of blows up on the inside of you. You say, there was something real, something true about that. That was mine. It's like looking through a telescope. What is far is now near. What is blurry is now clear. What is there is now here. Your future comes to you and you meet up with it. And you start to follow this thing that is really called life. Why would people do that? Why would those guys do that? They pursued a higher calling. They sought their heart's desire. They discovered their destiny. After Jesus said, come and see. Why do people flock to Jesus? Why do they come to him? I mean, what pulled them towards him? What was it about Jesus that pulled them to him in the midst of their brokenness and sin and failure when their lives were not was it so that Jesus can give another rule in their life and say, don't do this anymore? Was it so that he can uh, tell them how many sins that they've got or how much they have messed up within their life? What was it that caused them to go to them when their lives weren't perfect? Yet they still came by the thousands, by the thousands. They still come. And you have to ask the question, what are people seeking? Why do they come? Why do they seek him? Why do you come? Why do you seek him? I think that's a fair question, don't you think? 
It's not about going to church. It's not about reading the Bible. It's about being connected to the one that breathed life into your soul. This divine dreamer crisscrossed a small patch of geography for three years. He was casting his vision, spreading his ideology. He was showing his ability, igniting hope in the hearts of other dreamers. Are there any dreamers in the room today? Anybody that is willing to say, I will dare myself to think and to do what God calls me to do. They came by the tens of thousands. They came and they saw hope was ignited. They caught the vision. Hope was emerging. All of this stuff was happening within their lives. Momentum was increasing. Crowds were gathering and a revolution was beginning. Because of three words. Come and see. This success story, this leader, this entrepreneur, this divine dreamer became so popular that they wanted to make him the next king of Israel. And unfortunately today, I think the church puts way too much stock in politics. That's good, Bob! Preach it! Rather than in God. Our government is not our salvation Our government will not legislate morality or spirituality. It's God that does it. And if you want to see a movement in God, it's not who you put in office. It's who you put in the center of your heart. That's where it comes. I'm not saying don't pay attention to politics. I'm not saying that at all. But listen, they wanted what you and I want. They want peace, prosperity. They wanted wanted social justice. They wanted all of those things like you and I want today. No more oppression from the Roman government. No more self-seeking leadership from the corrupt Jews. No more condemnation. No more sickness. No more of that junk. That's what they saw in him. Things couldn't be any better. For those that started with Jesus just three short years earlier, every dream, every desire was unfolding before them. Until one night, this man was betrayed, sentenced to death, and then subsequently killed. And with that betrayal, with that arrest, and with that death, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dreams followed the same path. And those hopes died as well. Have you ever been so discouraged in the circumstances of your life that it seems like every time you turn, it just beats against you? I'm going to make a choice. This Sunday's message was awesome, and therefore I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, or I'm going to get up, I'm going to get to work early, I'm going to pray for my friends, I'm going to... And every time you try to make a change within your life, it seems like you run flat up against a wall. Did it ever feel like the battle is always uphill? Like every time you make a choice, you're fighting against someone or some. I want you to see this verse behind me in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Delayed hope. Somebody say delayed hope. Delayed hope makes one sick at heart. You know what delayed hope is? When the pizza delivery boy is late. That's truth. Delayed hope makes one sick at heart. 
When hope is gone, desire for real life. Somebody say real life. When, when hope is gone, the desire for real life fades away. And we live, unfortunately, unlimited, unfulfilled, and incomplete lives where we just get on that merry-go-round on a Monday morning, get off it on Monday night, Tuesday morning, we hop back on again, and we see the same thing over and over and over again, waving to the same people who are on that same ride as you. There was a study once done by scientists, and this is where all your government money goes, by the way, and they studied several hundred fleas. I said fleas. They put the fleas in a jar, and then they, they, they capped that jar with a lid, and every time those fleas tried to get out, they could not escape. Well, several weeks later, they took the lid off the jar, placed it on the table, and kept the, the fleas right there in the jar, and guess what? Did you, did you know that none of the fleas escaped? Because the fleas were conditioned only to jump so high. And I wonder if in your life you're just tired of hitting your head on that lid that prevents you from going further. He was so depressed that his family went into his house and they removed everything that could potentially cause him harm. He was quoted as saying, I am the most depressed man alive. My life is worthless. Sometime later, he started a business with his friend. His friend took off and the business failed. And he spent the next 17 years of his life paying off the debt. The year that he got engaged, his fiancée passed away. He had a nervous breakdown shortly thereafter. Ran for political office nine times and failed. And then in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected as the President of the United States. Thomas Edison spent years and thousands of attempts to invent the light bulb. When asked about his failures, he simply said, I haven't failed. I've just found out 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Delayed hope makes the heart sick. Why were these men different? What was it about them that even though the circumstances came against them, even though they failed multiple times, what was it that caused their heart not to be sick, not to be depressed? What caused them to move on in spite of their circumstances? What was it that called them? And I will tell you what it is. It wasn't just because they wanted to make an invention or because he wanted to be the president. It was because they saw something in their future that called to them from the future. And they got up every morning and brushed themselves off and said, I have to try again. And they did. Because their eyes were not on the present, they were on the future. And I wonder, what are you looking at today? If all you look at is what's in your bank account or what's around you or what's to the left or to the right or in front or in behind, what about the future? What about the overarching God plan for your life? It's bigger than anything else that you can ever imagine. Bigger. But what do you see in your future? Can you see your future? Dare you to look into your future? Listen, if you're going to write anything down today, write this down. We should not shrink our dreams to fit our life. We should stretch our life to fit our dreams. 
Did you hear what I said? We should not shrink. Oh, I can't do that. I'm too short, right? Yeah, I'm too old. I've got gray hair. I'll never do this. I got fired from my other church. I got fired from this almost. That's not true, by the way. Okay? So we, 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 shrink, our, we shrink our dreams, our hopes, our desires so that we can keep everything contained right here and control it. <laughs> Proverbs 29:18 says without a vision people perish. The word vision there in the Hebrew is kozon and it does not mean what you can see with your eyes it literally means what you see with your spiritual eyes that cause an ecstasy, a joy, a happiness that rises up on the inside of you. Without that type of a vision, something that you long for, something that you can taste, something that you thirst for, without that, you're, you don't perish. It doesn't mean to die. It literally means that there's no restraint upon your life. Without hope, you just wander aimlessly. Without a direction, you don't know where you're going to go. It's like just driving anywhere that you want to go, hoping you're going to end up where you belong. And you can't. You need a vision for your life. You need, you, you, you need direction. You need goals. And without that, you have no path. Your, your heart has nothing to sink onto. Your, your eyes have nothing to focus on. I used to have a dream. And then I got divorced. And now I spend all my time just taking care of my kids and trying to earn money so that I can put food on the table. So I've put it on the shelf. I used to have a dream, but my business failed, and I'm not going to go through that again. I used to have a dream, but I found out I wasn't smart enough, tall enough, fast enough, big enough. So I just gave up. I'm discouraged, and it's not in me. Can I tell you something this morning? You are not alone. Abraham was promised a family, and decade after decade, he ended up with no kids. Joseph, in, in uh, where is it, Genesis 37, 5, was, said, the Bible says that Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a great dream where people were going to bow down to him, and he was going to be a charge and great, a great leader, yet he found himself in the slave market, naked, unable to speak the language of those that are around him, tied to a post where people came by and examined him like a piece of meat if they could buy him. Where was his dream then? Ruth had a dream. Oh, I'm going to get married. This is going to be great. I'm going to have kids. And her husband dies. Abraham Lincoln didn't start off a real success. Albert Einstein had more, I'm sorry, uh, Thomas Edison had more failures than he had successes. Every one of these people came to a point in their life that what they had hoped for, what they had dreamed about, what they had pursued, died, ended. With no human means to help. I think there comes a time for all of us when we run into a wall, when this massive mountain that we face is too big for us to scale, when things fall apart, when that crystal clear image of what we set out to do becomes blurry and it fades away into darkness. 
when all the pieces that we had assembled and tried to put together do not fit, when all of our plans seem to fail, when the dream fades to nothing, and it dies. The Apostle Paul addressed the church at Corinth, and I want to show you these two verses right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he says this, for our light affliction. Somebody say light affliction. I don't think there for a minute that Paul doesn't know what suffering is all about. He does. He says, for our light, he said our. He didn't say mine, he didn't say yours, he said our, collectively. We have a light affliction. And then he says, which is but for a, what? Moment. You know, uh, listen, I'm not that smart, but I've discovered this. In a moment, there's a beginning and there's an end. Right? So, minute one, there's a beginning and there's an end. Then when it ends, I'm into minute two. For our light affliction is but for a moment. Notice the next four words. Is working for us. Now, most of you wake up every day and when you're faced with some kind of a challenge, you would say to me, everything is against us. It's against me. It's not for me. It's against me. Well, I got to tell you something. You have an attitude problem. I, I love you, okay? And here's, now, attitude in the NASA perspective, okay? Attitude means which way are you pointing? So the attitude is that if you keep looking down, <laughs> you're just going to see your feet. If you look up, you're going to see hope in life. You think I don't know what I'm talking about? You're absolutely right, but the Bible does, and look what this says. Is working for us. Say my junk. Say it out loud. My junk. No, say it. My junk is working for me. If you woke up every morning and you said, well, whatever comes against me, that's mine. I'm going to take it. It's making me a better person, a stronger Christian, a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better person, whatever it might be. It's working for me. For me. If you just have that attitude change from down to up. Look at Paul says, while we, oh my God, look what he says in verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Well, have you seen my life lately? My car is breaking down. I've got this and I've got that. Oh, just hush up. Quit looking at the things that are seen and look at the things that are unseen, right? Because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. You need an attitude adjustment. And so do I. Ask my wife. See, God sees, our, God sees our picture, and the picture is bigger than what we see. Our sight is limited, right? Our vision is incomplete. We don't even know what's around the next corner, what's waiting for us at the next intersection. We don't know. That's what life is kind of like. It's an adventure. It's kind of fun, scary, it's exhilarating, it's happy, but at the same time, it could be frightening and dangerous. There are twists and turns on the way to your dream, and dreamers throughout experience have, throughout history rather, have experienced this, and I want you to, here's the second thing I'd like you to write down, dreams rarely happen in a straight line. The path to your dream is not always Direct. 
it's difficult to interpret the events of our lives, you know, the mistakes that we've made, the abuses we've suffered, the injustices that we've experienced, and to keep on persevering. In Genesis 50, and if we had time, like four or five more hours, I would talk to you more about Joseph, but we don't. But in Genesis 50, after his brothers had sold him into slavery, he was put in jail, accused wrongly, and then he made his way up into the jail, was forgotten about, and then finally promoted to the second in command of the greatest nation, the most powerful nation in the world. Twenty years after his brothers sold him into slavery, Joseph was there with his brothers, and they're thinking he's now finally going to have vengeance upon them. And he comes back with this verse that's behind me, and now I'm preaching to the ladies. All you men can go back to sleep because this is kind of a ladies thing in just a minute. By the way, if you men don't get the threads, Devo, I would suggest that you get it, get it rather. After you get past all the, hey, honey, it's so nice to see you, and lovelies, and the flowers and everything, there's meat, there's a bone filled with meat in those devotions. And then it ends again with the fluffies and the flurry things and stuff like that. You planned, Joseph speaking now to his brothers, you planned evil against me, but God planned good to come out of it. That word planned, in other versions, it's the word meant. In the Hebrew, it means to construct, to assemble, to put together. And Joseph is saying to his brothers, look, you had this plan. You devised this plan to assemble, to construct, to put all these things together. But God had other plans. I'm going to give you two words that are the most important words in your life when you're faced with circumstances. You planned evil against me, but God. I got a bad report from the doctor, but God! I have no money, but God! My marriage is falling apart, but God! I have no friends, but God! I don't know what I'm doing in my life, but God! Where is God in all the equations sometimes? But God, everybody needs a but God in their life. Somebody shout me down and say amen to that. Now, here's the part. You are going to stand up to your feet in just a second because when I give you the Hebrew construction of this word, it's going to blow you ladies' mind out the door. Your hair is going to look like Mackenzie's. You ready? Tell me if you're ready. Are you ready? The word planned in the Hebrew, I'm going to come over here where Jill is. This is what it means. The, the, the original use to weave. What? To weave. Oh, no, you're not getting it. This side's getting it, but you're not. Let me come over here. To weave. You're, this is you. Oh, look at all this lumber coming against me. Somebody just hit me with a two by four. Oh, no. But God, he's building a house with that two by four. You know what God does? Listen, God takes the threads of your life. He takes the threads and he weaves a tapestry for you. That's your life. It can only be your life. It's a tapestry for you. Listen. 
all the threads, good and bad, painful, not painful, happy, sad, depressed, no money, tons of money, good marriage, bad marriage. God takes those things and he weaves them together. And then you look back on that thing and it's this tapestry with your life. And then you know what he does? He weaves your tapestry with your tapestry with your tapestry with your, and that's community. That's community. But God, I got to take a break. We see the lumber, God sees the house. We see the threads, God sees the tapestry. Every invention that was ever made, every building ever built, every song ever sung, every painting ever painted, every business that was ever started, all started. If you trace all of those back from what you see in the physical realm all the way back to its inception, or I should say, conception, it was nothing but a dream or an idea. Everything. Everyone. But when our dream dies, when we come to the end, when all hope is lost, when questions beg for answers, when you're alone in the darkness and afraid, you come to the most critical part of your dream. This is the time when your vision is laid in a coffin. When your hope that once burned deep within you lies cold and dead in the grave. When depression is in your life, discouragement is normal. When all hope is gone. Some of you are there right now. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? Come and see. Come and see. I'm lying there depressed, not knowing what to do, and you're saying to me, come and see? Yeah. Jesus is saying to you, come and see. Come and see the place I used to be. Come and see the grave that I used to lie in. The tomb could not hold me. The grave could not keep me. Come and see. Come and see me today. I am alive and seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority and all power in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Come and see. When your dream dies, come and see the one who can speak life into your dream. Come and see. The author of life. The creator of life. The one who gives the breath of life. And his name is Jesus. So today, as we close and as the worship team comes, I want to encourage you to walk through the graveyard of your life and view the epitaphs of your dream. I want you to look at them. And although that 
and Jesus proved this, by the way, that there's death. He's the one who could bring life out of that. So I want to encourage you here today that if you are faced with tombstones that are just lined up and down with all of your dreams that have died, all of your hopes that no longer exist, I dare you today to stand up and walk in the midst of those tombstones and speak three words to them. Come and see. Come and see the Father who loves you with an everlasting love, who's forgiven you of every sin that you ever have committed and ever will commit. Come and see the Father who knows you by name and has a plan for your life. Come and see Jesus, not just the divine dreamer, the Son of the living God, the Son of Man, your brother, who's not ashamed to call you his brethren. Come and see Jesus who will never leave you, never forsake you. Come and see Jesus who places his hands upon your shoulders, looks you in the eye and says, you are the light of the world. Go light things up. You are the salt of the earth. Go spice things up. Let's do this thing is what Jesus says. Come and see the Holy Spirit who has uniquely gifted you and endowed you with things that you can never imagine but can only come from Almighty God. Come and see. Come and see the graveyard where only life can exist when Jesus is there. When emptiness is something, when nothing has something in it, come and see. And take everything that you have, lay it at the feet of your Savior, and then focus your eyes upon Him. And run your race with him in mind. Can we put up Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, please? Looking unto Jesus. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him, that which drew him into the future, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. And then it says we're going to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And in the Greek, this is what it means. It doesn't mean just look over there. It means to look away from something and stare at something else to the point where you put blinders up and you're not looking at anything else. But the loving eyes of your Savior who died on the cross for you and said, I love you this much. Come and see him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Before Pastor Matt comes, I just want to tell you one thing. Although I've ended my sermon, you're at the beginning of a new point in your life. You're at the intersection of faith and hope with love calling to you out of the future. This is not the time for you to think if you can do it or not. This is now the time to know that God can and he will. He's just looking for someone to partner with. Would you step out in faith and do that? and enjoy this life with your Savior. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray it bless you greatly. Please visit us at www.colonialchurch.life for more.